The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. So, in line with what we've been doing here as we cover the January 6th Select Committee hearings, joining us is Professor Barbara McQuaid, professor at the University of Michigan Law School, to help us understand all the legal aspects of these hearings. Good morning, Barbara. How are you? Good morning, Zerlina. I've I've come to enjoy our talks after these um, hearings. It's good therapy for me to talk. I agree. (laughs) I agree. I mean, and the last segment, I don't know if you heard a little bit of um, just my Josh Hawley jokes, Um, but I, you know, I I needed that levity last night. And and there was a certain point where I was like texting my friends. I was like, either I'm losing my mind or that was really, really funny. (laughs) It was really funny. It was kind of gratuitous. It was it was sort of like when they had Jared say that um, he took a shower with threatened to resign. He was whining. Is like oh, you right. know, just look at these people. Just take a look at these people. You, right. This is too delicious to not show you. <laughs> yeah, and um, Jared Kushner also had time to take a shower. Another weird detail yesterday right. that I was like, wait, you had somebody said he had just traveled from the Middle East, so I'm going to point that out and say like perhaps he had just traveled from overseas and you know got off a flight and took a shower. I understand that, but I was like, you had time to shower during the insurrection? How? And my thought um, was a little TMI, you know, like yeah. you, you took a call. I don't need to. I don't. I don't need to know any of that information, <laughs> um, but. But just to start us off, what were what were your top takeaways? How did how did this hearing help build on what we have learned to date in telling the story about Donald Trump's culpability in um, trying to overturn the election and the violence that we saw January 6th? Yeah, I thought there's some really important new facts that we learned last night. And I think Adam Kinzinger really framed it at the beginning everything like kind of tied on to this theme when he said Donald Trump did not fail to take action during the insurrection. He chose not to take action during the insurrection. And, and I think that is what really came through uh, in all of that. You know, one fact that I had not appreciated before is that Donald Trump did not make that video until it was clear that the attack had failed. It wasn't a, you know, he kind of dragged his feet or he didn't get around to it or he was busy, you know, running the country. Uh, it, it wasn't until after it became apparent. So I thought that was really important. Um, you know, he didn't stop it. It was over. And, and then he kind of grudgingly uh, does that thing. I also thought the scene where Pence got evacuated from mm. the Capitol, he, he was much more, um, you know, just closer and, and more dire than I had previously thought. You know, I think we'd all seen that video of him uh, walking down those back steps. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize the scene below, which we kind of saw, you know, back and forth, cutting back and forth where the uh, Secret Service agent is running down, like, I'll go check it out. And they're like people right there. And this right. woman is, you know, a, a female agent is saying, like, there, there's there's about six officers between us and then there's the mob, but I think there's a path. And now there's some kind of unknown gas going on, but I think we can do it. Like, but if we don't go now, it's now or never, let's go. And wow, I thought I thought that was really riveting. So. Um, uh, I thought um, another thing that was really interesting is uh, Mark Milley's testimony. 
know, he's mm-hmm. the former chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. So from the military perspective, he said, you're the commander in chief. You've got an assault going on in the capital of the United States of America. And there's nothing, no call, nothing, zero. Um, you know, and, and that ties into something Liz Cheney said at the end, which is, you know, these are not partisan political opponents accusing him of something. These are his inside closest advisors confessing to something. Mm. So I, I thought it was really, really quite riveting. Even the next day, when he, the outtakes from the video. Oh, the outtakes. The, I, yeah, I, that, that was one of the top moments for me, Barbara, because, um, you know, you saw him turn it on. You don't really, really ever get to see behind the curtain and yeah. see him like turn on the character that is Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, so that for me was really powerful. Yeah. You know, even the stuff like who's behind me, you know, like he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that he could not bring himself to say was that the election is over because he want he's to this day, he continues to perpetrate this big lie. Right. And so uh, he was willing to say things like, um, you know, we need to uh, have a peaceful resolution and transfer of power, but he would never concede. He's like, no, I don't want to say that, that the election is over. So I thought those outtakes were interesting. One of the other things that I thought was really, really fascinating about um, yesterday, in addition to the outtakes and the draft tweets that we um, Mm -hmm. have seen, um, is, as you said, the Secret Service saying goodbye to oh, their families that, that was, was so... the moment that i literally got chills all over my body i was like yeah. oh my gosh so it's not only you know you already sort of alluded to um that portion of last night's hearing but in does that like raise the stakes at all um and you know relatedly we're now processing the news that there might be deleted secret service text messages that we definitely need now because we heard some of their radio traffic um which makes me think that there's probably text traffic um, yeah you know that gives us a lot of information about what was happening yeah i I agree i think the um the you know calling to say goodbye to loved ones you know we heard from that uh security official whose voice was kind of altered because he's concerned about his safety you know what does that say uh he doesn't want to disclose his identity yet i mean if he were to come to a trial he would need to do that but he said, it's, it's really hard to talk about. I don't like to talk about it, but people were like calling back, you know, say, you know, I imagine stuff like, you know, tell my wife, I love her, tell my kids, I love them. And they didn't expect to get out of there alive. I think that really brings home the human stakes and the consequences of it uh, in an important way. And, and boy, I agree with you, Zerlina, I'm really troubled by these missing secret service texts that, that they're not anywhere on a backup. I'm still not quite sure. I a hundred percent believe that. Yeah. But, but they could be that. really revealing. I don't believe that only because like they're they're just regular text messages. They didn't it's not like they were on signal, right? I mean, I'm assuming this is just their regular phones and they did do a wipe, but the secret service itself, isn't that the agency? This yes. is something that point people have made is that this is the agency you go to to investigate cyber crimes? It is and they're really good at it. <laughs> and so I know um Clint Watts, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a mm-hmm. former FBI counterintelligence uh, agent who's very good on this type of stuff. He, he tweeted about this and said that, um, you know, they, they can be recovered with forensic tools. So I don't know that for a fact, but, you know, most agencies are on, you know, when I was in the Eastern Service, we were just on Verizon. <laughs> we right. plan. We did have like the whole agency got them. And, and this does happen, you know, from time to time when they say we're going to replace the whole fleet. Everybody's phones are five years old. 
and we're going to do it in phases. You know, you're in phase three and your phone's going to be due in on February 1st and you should back up all your data and, and, and whatever. But um, it may not be easily retrievable, but I find it hard to believe it's just gone forever. I, I guess I don't know that for a fact, but it seems like it's worth trying, right? To, oh, to yeah. look into that a little bit. They, they may not be eager to do it. It may not be easily retrieved, but I, if I were either, you know, Liz Cheney leading the, the charge here or Benny Thompson leading the charge here or um, Matthew Graves, the U.S. attorney in D.C., I'd be looking pretty hard for those text messages because oh, yes. in real time in a chaotic situation like that, I have to believe people were sending things that could be valuable to just piecing together the story. I I hope I hope you're right. I hope they can find this. This is it, at least just for for history' sake. Um, it'd be like losing Secret Service, you know, information from the JFK assassination. And I know that mm-hmm. actually that was an issue. Yeah. Is that yeah. um, this is not the first time there there's confusion around some of the information related to the Secret Service. But this is something we need to know for history's sake and for obviously. Uh, information sake as it relates to the insurrection um mm-hmm. one of the other pieces of um evidence i thought was really really powerful and they went kept going back to it which is the sort of computer simulation of the room that donald trump was in the dining room with the tv on to fox and as they went through the timeline one of the things i thought was really really powerful was that they just kept showing real clips of fox news um yes. that donald trump was watching Yes. So it, it, it painted a picture that, oh, he knew it was happening because on Fox yes. News, which is what he was watching at 2.22 and 2, 3.22, um, you know, they're saying the president can stop that. You know, like the Republicans are calling into Fox News saying the president needs to come out and tell everyone to go home. He needs to stop this. So he's watching them call him out um, for the violence in real and in real time. They're showing us what he was watching. Yeah. And I think they said he was informed. There's a photo of him still in his overcoat. He's walked in the door from the ellipse and he's told there's this attack going on at the Capitol already. Uh, and I agree with you. I think it's masterful storytelling to show um, what he could see. So, you know, I, I suppose there's a tendency to want to uh, of some of his supporters to want to cast him in the best light that, you know, well, how does he know what's happening? He's probably busy running the country. How could mm-hmm. he possibly know what's happening? No, he's in there the whole time and that he chose to go into the dining room. So as you say, with this like little schematic, um, he chose to go in, the, which is more private in the Oval Office, you know, people come and go and people could get to him. He kind of wants to be alone. He wants to watch this. And there's no question when you see he's watching Fox and this is what they were showing on Fox. So he knew that the Capitol had been breached and that the people there were in danger. And we also learned what is he doing in that dining room? Is he calling up the National Guard or checking on Mike Pence or anything else? And while there is a pending call with the Pentagon to try to discuss what's going on, he doesn't take it. He doesn't want to do anything, they say. Instead, he's calling Giuliani and he's mm-hmm. calling senators to try to use this to his advantage to delay the certification. I think that's some really important evidence, too, Zerlina, in terms of thinking about this as a crime. You know, one of the crimes that's probably the cleanest and the easiest to put together is conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that day uh, at one o'clock, they're supposed to be a convening to count those ballots, the, each, each state's electors, and certify the vote. And it should probably take a couple hours, you know, to get through all that. Uh, every minute he delays, you know, the Constitution says January 6th. Uh, if they leave, uh, maybe it's over. Maybe he wins. Maybe he lives to fight another day. And so his effort to delay that, I think we learned some more evidence last night that he was affirmatively seeking to delay that. I think that is evidence of conspiracy to uh, obstruct an official proceeding. So... If if 
you can make that case. Do you think that it's clean enough that Merrick Garland will give the green light to his prosecutors making that case? Because we learned that obviously he has to green light any investigation and and prosecution of, you know, Mm -hmm. the president or anyone involved in election Mm -hmm. activities. Um, Mm -hmm. So do you think that they have what they need? Well, I think they, if they're not investigating this, then shame on them and I'd be stunned. And I think they are, you know, Merrick Garland gave that statement this week, I think to try to calm people down and assure Mm -hmm. the public that, you know, I get it, we're on it. So I'm sure they're at least investigating. Um, And I think, I think so. But you know, what we don't know is what else is out there? We only see one side of the story with these congressional hearings. No witness is cross-examined. We don't hear people who might be defenders of Donald Trump who would say, oh, but there was also all this other stuff that happened. Now, it seems like it's not, that there's not a whole lot there, but of course we don't know. So what, what the prosecutors have to do that the members of Congress don't is to fully investigate that other side of the story. They have to anticipate every defense. You know, you can't have that surprise moment when the courtroom doors burst open and the surprise witness walks in and says, mm-hmm. I did it. You, know? <laughs> you need to make sure you have disproved all the negatives that he did this. So I, I think those answers um, will inform whether charges can and will be filed. But boy, I'll tell you at this point, I put it in more likely than not the charges will be filed here, at least as to conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. And then whether there's something larger like conspiracy to defraud the United States or even seditious conspiracy, which require an agreement between Trump and the insurrectionists that we've seen hints of, but not a a, a direct connection yet. But I imagine that's something that the Justice Department would be looking for as well. This is, it's a fascinating um, moment because there's so much that we are still learning. Like every hearing, I'm, I'm just blown away by the fact that I have four pages of new information and I'm like, why yeah. do I have four pages of new information? I can't. I thought I knew everything about this. Um, one of the other things um, that we learned, um, in addition to <laughs> Josh Hawley <laughs> running away, um, which is my one, one of my personal karma. favorite, <laughs> yeah, my personal, karma. <laughs> I, I karma is real. Um, I do believe that. Um, but one of the other things that we learned yesterday um, was just this sort of, I wrote it, I wrote it down in a diagram. So you started out by saying this, um, he did not record that message until he understood that the insurrection had failed. And that was like that four o'clock message in the Rose Garden. This is the first series of outtakes. So it was his, if his goal was overturning the election that he lost, Mm -hmm. um, he tried to pressure Pence. He tried to pressure the state officials. Pr- tried to pressure the DOJ. That failed. So this is my diagram. He sent the mob. That failed. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then he records that video. Is that the kind of thing that in a court the prosecutors can lay out that would help prove this out? Or is that just a story that's compelling in the political context? Like, I'm I'm still confused as to, like, where the line is between, like, this is bad politically and, oh, this is bad because this can be prosecuted. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, Zerlina, you have to show not just that he did something profoundly awful, but that it fits the elements of a particular crime. And so, you know, you got to find the right statutes. And, you know, we've been talking about all of those obstructing a proceeding, defrauding the United States or seditious conspiracy and all those things. But I like your diagram. And I think um, uh, memo to uh, Merrick Garland, listen to this episode and um, 
put this in your opening statement because I think there is also a persuasion aspect to a jury and showing them you know how this plot all unfolded and worked out and I think that's excellent you know you can take the you can take the girl out of the courtroom, but you can't take the courtroom out of the girls. You're thinking like a lawyer. Um, but I think it's a very compelling presentation and a very good way to think about it, that his, his plotting got ever more desperate and ever more nefarious uh, as he tried to cling to power. He was so desperate to cling to power. Even after the next day when he's making that video, he still won't concede that he lost the election. He is, to, to this day, it's, you know, it's 2022 and he still says, like he, tw- he mean tweets every time, you know, now about, it's all about Liz Cheney. Uh, that this is all uh, the unselect committee and their partisan witch hunt and, and all of these kinds of things. Um, but I think you have to think in terms of the elements of these offenses. And so did he obstruct an official proceeding for a wrongful purpose? I, I think that case is pretty strong at this point. You know, that just means I tried to interfere with or delay some official proceeding of Congress. They're supposed to get together at one o'clock on January 6th to do this thing. His time to contest is over. When the electoral vote is occurs on December 14th, it's done. He filed claims in courts. He can do that. Um, He lost. He lost every one of those. It's over. And so by trying to obstruct that official proceeding, um, you know, he is engaging in vigilante justice. I think that one is is pretty solid and pretty clean. Um, The next one, conspiracy to defraud the United States. You know, I think by he's constantly lying and say, I stole an election. And the purpose of that is to interfere with the lawful transition of presidential power. I think he got that one too. The one where I don't think we have yet is seditious conspiracy, where you have to show that he intended. Now, there's lots of circumstantial evidence to show that he was happy about it and that he wouldn't mind if this happened. But you'd have to show that he knew and he intended to use violence on the Capitol. Um, I am hopeful that the Justice Department gets there because I think that they've, you know, they've got now the phones of all of these people who were involved in seditious conspiracy. Stuart Rhodes of the Oath Keepers, Enrique Terrio of the Proud Boys. Four Oath Keepers are cooperating. Um, looking at their phones can really get a lot of information because remember the last hearing we learned about this Friends of Stone group chat. Yep. And so you know that gets us into the Willard Hotel war room. And so if you can connect up, like you're going to go storm down those doors, and then the mob's going to follow you inside, and that's going to stop that count that day. If you can connect up that as an agreement in advance, then I think you can even charge them with seditious conspiracy, which would really be the most serious. You know that. We've talked about this before. That is the most serious offense you can charge with, the, the most akin to treason in peace times. You know, treason can only be charged when we are at a declared war. But seditious conspiracy means you tried to use force to oppose the government of the United States. I think that would be uh, a huge, huge charge. I mean, and then when you sit and sort of think about what we're learning, it doesn't sound that off base. That sounds like, oh, no. that is what we are learning here. So one of the other things that I haven't actually talked about yet, which I want to sort of hone in on, there were a lot of moments last night. The Josh Hawley moment um, was like, you know, I think objectively hilarious. Um, that was a moment where I was laughing for like five minutes straight. I was like, maybe I've lost my mind or I need to go to bed. A little but um, but, but it was really, really funny. Um, but there was also another funny moment, and that is Pat Cipollone. And I haven't talked about that yet. Um, So there were a lot of really important nuggets in his testimony. Obviously, he is helping them flesh this timeline out, um, starting at one o'clock when the violence, um, you know, commenced at the Capitol um, and going all the way through the afternoon and into the evening. But there was a moment, Barbara, where he was asked, was anybody they sort of had to keep clarifying. They were like, anybody in the White House, was there anybody in the White House 
who didn't want the mom to go home. That's basically the question I asked him. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And, and, yeah, I think staff. <laughs> the, and so he was like, he looks at his lawyer. Mm-hmm. He like, and then he looks back and then he looks again at the lawyer. Like, help me. Yeah. <laughs> help. What do I do? Um, and then they kind of whisper help. and they kind of mumble. And I, I, I literally like, almost fell on the floor laughing. I was cracking up because I was like, this isn't a hard question. This is an easy question. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard for him to give the answer, which is why he's looking for help. How did yeah. you read certain aspects like that one of Pat Cipollone's testimony, which I think, obviously, we have to understand this is this is testimony they just got like a couple weeks ago. Um, right. It wasn't something that they had going into these hearings. This is new. And also, they're you know obviously utilizing it a lot. So it's really important in the retelling of the story. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. As a lawyer, he has certain ethical duties to his client. You know, there's executive privilege, but there's also attorney-client privilege, which I think he's trying carefully to uh, walk this this tightrope. I also think that, you know, he, there's a little self-preservation going on. He wants to maintain his stature in the conservative legal world. So he's not going to be too helpful. But I think he also knows he's got to answer these questions truthfully. He's not going to lie. Um, and so I think, though, even Adam Kinzinger comments on it. Like, yeah, we all know what he was saying there. Uh, he, he says staff. Yeah, oh, no, every member of the staff was unified in this. But, and we said anyone in the White House. So that would include, you know, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately he says, well, I can't really answer that without, uh, you know, privilege. <laughs> uh, I think what, the, you know, we know that means. It's Donald Trump who was the one who, who wanted this uh, attack to occur. It's Donald Trump who didn't want this attack to stop. Um, so I think sometimes... By not saying it, you know, he's he's conveyed what it is. I'll also point out, Zerlina, I think that if this case were to go to trial, um, they could get Pat Cipollone to fully testify. Mm-hmm. I think the committee was willing to take half a loaf here just to get the testimony done. You know, they negotiated that were four, there were four areas that he would agree to talk about, conversations that were not protected by the privilege because they were with outside people, you know, Eastman and uh, members of Congress, um, what happened on January 6th, and members and meetings with members of Congress. Um, but I think that if you really pushed him, you could uh, overcome any executive privilege because it's qualified privilege. And the courts, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has already held that the interest in investigating January 6th outweighs any interest in executive privilege here. And then attorney client privilege. You know, of course, the client is not Donald Trump, the man. The client is the president of the United States. And to the extent Donald Trump is acting contrary to the duties of president of the United States, then the privilege yields. And there's also, you know, this crime fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege. I think if the committee were to push it, um, or if the Justice Department were to push it, they could get an order to compel his testimony. And I think with such an order, he'd be happy to spill spill beans and tell tell us all what happened. So I think if this case ever goes to trial, we're going to hear all of it from Pat Cipollone. Um, My other thought about him, though, is uh, you know, he's no hero. This is the guy who defended Trump at his impeachment well, trial. This is what I was, this yeah. is actually something that I would, had been thinking about last night too, is that none of these people are heroes. They waited until yep. now. Yep. Yep. We, Where we were they? Known all uh, of this at, before. Yes. I mean, imagine if they had come forward during the impeachment trial mm-hmm. when Trump was acquitted. And, you know, I think there's some who say, well, it didn't matter. He was already out of office. But one of the things upon a conviction that could have occurred is the Senate could have also voted that he may never hold office again. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, necessary to protect our country. I mean, Liz Cheney made that point last night that this man should never be in public office again. We, and and we, we could have guaranteed that outcome with an impeachment and conviction. Instead, we're left to a criminal prosecution, which is much more difficult. So we only have one more minute here, but 
Do you think that Mike Pence should testify? Because yes. it feels to me like we've gone through enough where I'm like, I would like to hear from him we, uh, at this point. Yeah. So again, if there were to be a, a, a serious charges at the Justice Department, I think they would. I think what they would do is they would get his um, uh, deposition. He he would. Um, they would all agree that he would do a video. You know, there's just such courtesy given to uh, high elected officials. I don't. I I don't really agree with it. I think he should just show up and testify the way everybody else does. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of courtesy given because they have a lot of other knowledge and they want to avoid moments where you know, they're asked and, and he blurts out the nuclear codes or something, you know, so they give him a lot of courtesy. But yes, I think only he can testify firsthand about what was happening at the Capitol, why he wouldn't get into the Secret Service car, which is, mm -hmm. you know, I used to think that that was just a matter of, well, they were going to protect his life and he wanted to do his duty and, you know, they, they might take him away just, you know, because that's their job. Now, I think there might be something a little more nefarious there. Yeah, you know, that I, Trump is yeah, ordering, the, you know, the thugs. To... <laughs> so I, I think you do need Pence's testimony. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I literally that evolved, you know, my thinking on that has evolved because in the beginning I was like, why are people pointing out this detail? I was like, OK, so maybe he just wanted to stay because he wanted to finish the, as you said, yeah. the, the certification. Um, that makes sense to me. Or, and I'm like, he was afraid to get in the limo. Why would that be? But now I'm like, oh, I maybe understand now. <laughs> he was maybe afraid to get in the limo because he doesn't know if they're yeah. on his side. Yeah, <laughs> right? He's not sure, given all of the other things that are happening in context. Um, and so, whoa, what a fascinating moment in American history. Um, thank you, Professor Barbara McQuaid from the University of Michigan Law School for helping us, as always break down the January 6th hearings. Um, we're apparently going to have more in September, so I don't know yeah, if you're really going to we'll be, be back. very busy teaching <laughs> then, but um, oh, let I'll us be back. know. I need, I need my therapy with you, yes. Julina. Yes. yes, perfect. Thank you. Me too. So thank you so much. Have a great thank weekend you. and stay safe. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.